I appreciated that. Thank you. Hey, I'm a little sleepy, so to wake up in the room, on the count of three, I just need a year, okay, with three R's, emphasis on the er. All right, ready? One, two, three. Okay. Anybody wearing Crocs today? You know what? Uh, let this be documented for the record. I've never preached in Crocs, but this is the promised land. I get to preach in Crocs this morning. Hey, the socks. Hold on. Hey, y'all bless me with these, so I'm just going to show off the deep dish pizza socks. You know what I mean? <laughs> no matching, no cohesiveness to the fit at all, but we're cozy out here, fam. All right? Here's my uh, title of the message today. If you ain't crocking, you ain't rocking. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> okay, period. That's amazing. <laughs> oh, man. Hey, y'all's dorms were crazy this morning, by the way. What did y'all do? All right. Aliens and, aliens and cowboys. I don't know how y'all got all that set up and, and still did all the things this morning, but it blessed us. Thank you for all that. The title of the message today is this, I won't go without you. I won't go without you. Last night I preached, but I want to ask your permission this morning to teach a little bit. Because I know at the foundation of the culture of Excel is that we make disciples, not fans. And I'm about that. I love that. Disciples of Christ who in season, out of season don't need a particular reason to just worship and spend time in the presence of God. The disciple, somebody who wants to follow him. And so I want to give you a couple practical things this morning to help you be a better disciple. One part of that, the most critical part of being a disciple of Jesus, you can't be a disciple of Jesus if you don't have proximity with Jesus. That's why his disciples were called followers. Why? They followed him. They spent time with him. They had a personal relationship with him. And as disciples of Jesus Christ and disciples of this house, if you want to see God work in your life, if you want to see him move in power publicly, there needs to be a passionate and personal pursuit privately. I'm going to say it again. If you want to see God move in power publicly, you have to pursue him with passion privately. It's not like we're just going to ask God to pull up to the function and then not spend time with him when it matters most, which is in our home. So I want to give you a couple things related to pursuing the presence of God, practicing the presence of God that are going to help. And the person we're talking about today, I just like looking at the Bible. And, and I, again, I'm a fan of doing what's called expository preaching. I like to go verse by verse, line by line, and just look at a passage and see all that God has for us in that story without jumping around. Is that good with y'all? So today we're going to look at Moses. Who knows about Moses? My boy, Mo. Yeah, who doesn't know about Moses? That's okay. Raise your hand. Anybody not know about Moses? All right, great. This is amazing. Okay, we're going to, I'll give you a little brief summary, all right? So Moses, for those of you who don't know, uh, is a part of a greater group of people called the people of Israel, all right? God's chosen people, his the people that he has set apart, the people that he calls chosen, the people that he has chosen to move mightily through, okay? And to make a very, very long story short, you guys remember when Joseph went to Egypt? 
and how the Egyptians found favor with Egypt and like Israelites and Egyptians were cool for a little bit. Well, this is way after that. Many years pass. The Bible says that as each year passed, the pharaohs that ruled Egypt that came after Joseph long forgot about Israelites and the favor they found with them and the God of Israel. So we get to a point now where there's a pharaoh in Egypt. A pharaoh is just like the king. He's the ruler of that land. We get to a point in scripture where the pharaoh has no ties to the God of Israel, does not look on Israel favorably at all. He doesn't like them. And on top of that, he starts to think, wait a minute, the people of Israel are growing in number rapidly. That means people are having a lot of babies, y'all, all right? So they're growing in number rapidly. And pretty soon, if we're not careful, what's going to stop them from realizing their strength in numbers, picking up and leaving? So he decides to do something that's atrocious. He says, we're going to kill newborns to wipe out an entire generation and stop the growth, to cut it off. So that's what happens. There's a massive crying in Israel, in the land of Egypt. Could you imagine just moms getting their babies ripped from them? And Moses is a newborn at the time. His mom puts two and two together, says, I'm not losing this baby. Puts him in a basket, y'all, a picnic basket. Could you imagine just being put in a picnic basket? <laughs> not me, I'm claustrophobic. The devil's a liar, all right? Can't even ride an elevator, let alone a basket. They don't even make baskets this big, all right? <laughs> so they put him in a basket, and they literally float him down the Nile River. They're like, thoughts and prayers, bye. <laughs> they send him down the river. Who's seen Prince of Egypt? You just got all that Egyptian music in the background. I love that movie. Just, ah, right? And it's like the basket's floating. Hippos are like chomping on each other. Crocodiles are running into boats, apparently, like that happens. The boat almost catches him and drowns him, and he somehow manages to serenely just land perfectly in the palace. I'm not sure if it happened exactly like that, but it, but I mean, that was a dope movie, so we're just going to go with it, right? So he lands in the palace. He's raised as a prince in Egypt, realizes that he is an Israelite, that he is of Hebrew descent, and then takes matters into his own hands. He's like, I'm going to do this. See, he was trying to free the people of God without God's help at that time. He was trying to prematurely do something that God while God had called them to do it, it was not the time for. So he took matters into his own hands and he kills an Egyptian officer. Just bow on sight. And in the movie, if you watch the movie, he just straight up pushes homeboy right off the scaffolding. Just a hundred feet. Just a crispy hundred foot fall into the sand. Praise God. All right. A bad way to go. I hate sand and I hate heights. So that would be a terrible way to die. All right. So then we know what happens next. Ashamed of what he did, embarrassed, and still broken for his people. What does he do? He runs away. He runs away, and for years he spends time in the desert. He dwells amongst another people. He gets married. He has children. He raises sheep. He goes from being the rescuer of Egypt to the finder of some sheep, all right? And then one day in his old age, sees a bush that's on fire, but it's not hot to the touch. And the presence of the Lord speaks to him and says, Moses, come here. Take off your shoes. This is holy ground, which, by the way, did you know 
any space where the Lord meets you is holy ground. And if you don't have that type of reverence for the services that happen here during spring breakaway, and if you don't have that type of breathless awe for the services, that type of honor and respect to the Lord in the atmosphere back home, God is not going to move somewhere he is not honored. So just bonus content for you there. That's not just a spring breakaway thing. That's a life thing. If I, got want, if I want God to move, I need to make sure he knows he's honored in this place, that he's the most important person in the room, okay? So he takes off his shoes, and God begins to unfold his plan to set the people of Israel free from captivity. And then Moses being Moses does the stupidest thing you could do. But you can write this down. This is the dumbest thing I could do. When God chooses you and equips you and instructs you, the dumbest thing you could do is say, oh, God, you got the wrong one. <laughs> he's, literally, he's literally like, you remember the movie? Moses. Right? If I hear a voice like that, I'm like, yep, Lord, I'm going wherever you go. That's scary and awesome at the same time. I'm out. I'm doing exactly what you say. No, Moses is like, I can't do it. And if you know Moses in the Bible, he's got a stuttering problem. So he comes up with all sorts of excuses and God squashes it and just silences all the noise in one moment by bringing the focus from Moses to him. He says, Moses, I'm Yahweh. Yahweh in the Bible translates to I am. Meaning all that you need to do what I've called you to do is found in I am. God calls you, chooses you, instructs you, and equips you. Your response is to go. So Moses goes. And through a series of wild miracles and plagues, the Pharaoh is convinced to let God's people go. The Bible says that Moses and the Israelites are led by a pillar of fire by night. Again, fire tornado. Another sign that God's pretty real, okay? Like, that's wild. And, and, a, and a cloud by day. So literally, they're trying to escape the Egyptians and go to the land that he's promised them. So they're following this cloud by day. That was their GPS back in the day. That was Google Maps for them. And then a pillar of fire by night went before them. They make their way to a body of water called the Red Sea. All right? Pretty cool name for a body of water. Cannot verify whether or not it was red. Okay? But they get to the Red Sea, and there's no way through, or at least they think there isn't. And Pharaoh has now changed his mind, and Pharaoh's now chasing him down. It's a bad place to be. What does God do? He shows off. This is amazing. He says, Moses, lay your stick down into the water. He does it, and the water splits in half, makes a way through, and the Israelites make it to the other side unharmed. But notice this. As the Egyptians follow them, the water crashes down on them. Uh, the two observations real quick. Again, just bonus content that's not in the notes. But if God has promised something for you, he will make a way for you to get there. Like, I know that there are some people in here trying really hard to make Lakeview a place of worship. Like, I've heard a lot of stories on that right now as I've been coming here. I've been praying for Lakeview. And I'm not saying I favor that school over every other one. I'm just saying that that's the one I've heard the most. 
And I want to encourage the students and the faculty, anybody who works there, that if God has told you to take that land, if God has told you to start that youth alive, it doesn't matter who opposes you. It doesn't matter who comes against you. It doesn't matter if anybody isn't favorable to you. If God has called you to take the land, and if he's called you to that place, and he's promised that it'll happen, he will split seas for you to get there. And let me say this. God's not afraid to oppose those who oppose him and his promising people. There are more with you than there are against you. You take that land. You keep going. It doesn't matter if the school year is almost over. And if the summer happens, then you make efforts during the summer. And if the summer's over and the fall's coming, then you do that. And I'm not saying to do it in a militant way. The battle is not won in debate or argument. The battle is won in prayer and the presence. It's not about fighting. It's not about rioting. It's not about arguing. You and I don't have to defend Jesus. He's a big boy. The biggest of boys, I might say. Like, that's God, very God in the flesh. Know this. The battle is won in prayer and in the presence, and you're not opposing people. It's the, the battle is not against flesh and blood. So hear me out. We're not fighting against the principal. We're not fighting against the staff. We're not fighting against people that disagree with us. Jesus had dinner with people who disagreed with him. It's not against people. It's against principalities. It's against the enemy. So if God's called you to take it, take it. But it's going to happen in prayer and through the presence of the Lord which is how Moses finds his way to this place where we start our story, is in, is in Exodus 33, they've made it out of Egypt through the Red Sea, and now they're making it to the promised land. They're trying to get to a land that God has promised. The Bible says a land flowing with milk and honey. Not necessarily my ideal breakfast, milk and honey, but it sounds pleasant, doesn't it? It sounds like somewhere you'd want to hang out. Milk and honey, wow, that sounds amazing. I can just wear pizza socks with Crocs all day and be so comfortable. I can wear all black all the time. That's me making fun of y'all a little bit. <laughs> I don't ever have to look at a bright color ever again. Praise God. I can just wear dark hoodies and fitteds all day. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I still do that, all right? It's okay. But it's a land that God has promised them, right? And you would think that they wouldn't be quick to forget the God who did all of that for them to get to where they are, but they did. I want to shift to Moses real quick. Let's stop talking about the people. Let's talk about Moses. Moses was a phenomenal leader. What made him great was this. He prioritized the presence of God. And while the Israelites were in the wilderness on their way to the land flowing with milk and honey, Moses set up a tent. In this tent, he would go to meet with God. The Bible says that Moses would talk with God. This is amazing. Moses would talk with God like one talks to a friend. Could you imagine just going to the tent being like, what's up, Spirit of the Lord? Good? That's great. No, you're not just good. You're great, God. I appreciate you, God. You're loyal. As far as your blessings, we need another one, right? <laughs> like, could you imagine talking to Jesus like that? Like, that's amazing. They would just get into the presence of the Lord. He would get into the presence of the Lord, and he would come out different, and he would come out with instruction. All right, people of Israel, here's what we do next. But there was one moment where Moses went to the tent, and when he came out of the tent, 
the Israelites got impatient and they forgot that it was God who got them there in the first place. So they decided while Moses is in the tent, we're going to take all the gold we have. We're going to melt it down. We're going to make a calf. They literally, <laughs> this reminds me of the alien dorm. Y'all had like a cow in a jail. <laughs> like, wish I had that cow right now for the illustration. This would be amazing. Somebody give me some spray paint in that cow stat. All right, in the next five minutes. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that cow was ridiculous. <laughs> oh, man, y'all are crazy. They took all the gold. I want you to notice something. That instead of realizing that the most valuable thing they had in the camp was that tent. Because that's where God's presence was. When they grew impatient, they shifted their gaze from what the most valuable thing was, period, to what they found value in. And they made it an idol. If we're going to take all the gold and melt it down, we're going to worship it. Because if God's not going to give us what we want, we're going to go to things that are going to gratify us instantly. Is gold inherently bad? No. Is money inherently bad? No. But when you place good things in the seat of honor that only God deserves, that's when it becomes an idol. And God is a jealous God. And I don't mean jealous in like a silly boyfriend, girlfriend type way. I don't mean jealous in the capacity of like, your sibling gets something better for their Christmas gift or their birthday gift, and you got something that was like bid. You know what I mean? I'm talking about jealous in the sense that he will not allow anyone or anything to put him in second place. He's the I am. With one word, he created the universe. He's not going to settle for second place in anyone. Students, you need to understand this. God is either Lord of all or Lord not at all. I'm talking about for you personally. Ask yourself the question, is he Lord over all in my life? Or is he Lord not at all? There's no in-between. There's no third or fourth place. There's not even a second place. It's not even close. And if it's close, and if there's something that comes close to him as a priority in your life, You've got your priorities twisted. The value was in the tent where they met with him, not in the stuff. We have to be careful that especially in seasons where we don't feel like we're hearing from God or we're waiting on him, not to turn our worship to things that have an expiration date. If you and I aren't careful, we'll look to things that have expiration dates to sustain us, to lead us, to guide us, to find our identity in. And then we wonder why we're so lost. Those things were never meant to lead you, guide you, sustain you, or fulfill you. They have an expiration date. All material items, relationships, everything has an expiration date. The only thing that lasts for eternity is God. So God realizes what his people are doing. Not that he's caught by surprise, but he sees what his people are doing. And he says this. I'll make sure you get to the promised land, but I'm out. I'll make sure you get there, but I'm not going with you. 
Could you imagine being Moses? It's God who delivered him from the Nile. It's God who redeemed him from that mistake he made. It's God who has used him to, despite his insufficiencies, despite his stuttering, despite his insecurity. It's God who has led them to this place. It's God who was leading them to the promised land. And it's that same God who's saying, no, I'm not going with you. Moses gets desperate in this moment. This is where we get the title of our message from. It says, oh God, I don't just want what you can do for us. We need you. Because more students, more than I want the things of God, the benefits of God, the promises of God, I want God. I don't just want his help. I want him. And Moses pleads with the Lord and says, if you're not going with us, I don't want to go. I don't want to go without you. Moses understands. It's not about what God can do for me. It's about who God is to me. And it's about his presence. And here's the thing about God's presence. Write this down. It's always the answer and it's always what you need. It's always the answer and it's always what you need. You need wisdom. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask. You're feeling down? It starts in the presence of the Lord. You're going through pain? It starts with the presence of the Lord. You got a big decision to make? It starts with the presence of the Lord. Everything going great in your life? Cool. It still starts in the presence of the Lord. You don't really need anything? Cool. It still starts in the presence of the Lord. Everything we do should flow from an overflow that you and I experience in time spent with the Lord. You want God to move in your life, you need to do what Moses did. Here's the first thing. Three points really quickly. Number one, make a tent. Make a tent. For Moses, this was called a tent of meeting. Now, I know, I know what some of you are thinking. This guy's from Missouri, so he's literally asking me to make a tent when I get home. <laughs> I'm going to just pitch a tent in my backyard or in the alley. It's going to be great. Like, just going to the park, I'm going to pitch a tent. I'm not asking you to do that. The tent represents something bigger than that. Where do you spend time with God regularly, daily? If I were to ask you where your tent is, do you have an answer for that? And I'll tell you, being a youth pastor, I've, I've, I've interacted with lots of students, so I know I'm not assuming anything when I say this, and I say this in love, but some of you, your life is out of whack because your tent is set up on Thursdays at Excel and not every day in your room. Thursdays was never meant to sustain you every other day. Thursdays, the, the purpose of Thursdays is to make disciples and to reach the lost. Thursdays aren't even for you. Thursdays are for who you're supposed to bring. And if you're not bringing and inviting, that's not accomplishing the mission of Jesus. Because he came to seek and save that which is what? Lost. So if Thursdays have become a meeting of found people, there's something wrong. Now, I'm not saying it's bad to gather. The Bible says to not forsake the assembly of the saints. It's not a bad thing for believers to get together, encourage one another, stir each other up in the faith and worship. 
But that's not the primary function of the church. That was never, that was never God's plan. You would know that if you have a tent set up. Where's your tent? And if you don't have one, the moment you get back home, you have to make a decision. Where am I going to spend time with God daily? Where am I going to? You make time. Some of you are like, I don't, have, I don't have time. You make time for what's important. Everybody has the same 24 hours. I don't want to hear that. I'm, I'm talking to you out of love today. I got two kids. It's still a priority. And it doesn't get easier from here to prioritize that. Where's your tent? When it comes to making a tent, it's somewhere that's uninterruptible. It's somewhere where you can focus. And it's somewhere in a time that you can meet with God regularly. Exodus 33.7 tells us that anytime somebody wanted to meet with the Lord, they went to this tent. In this season where the wind is at your back, because let me tell you, God is moving in this student ministry. I mean, I felt the presence of the Lord from the rip during worship, like, very powerfully. So in this season where you've got momentum, where you're experiencing growth, it's not the time to let off the gas and forget the God who brought you here in the first place. I would argue to say when things are going good is when you're at your most dangerous That's when you're tempted to think that you have anything to do with it. When things are going good, we still meet with the Lord regularly. When things are going bad, we especially meet with the Lord regularly. And if things are in the middle, we still meet with the Lord regularly. Check this out. In in Exodus 33, verse 9, it says that when Moses entered the tent, there was a cloud that would descend and be by the entrance. That is the presence of God. Pastor Izzy said something that was so awesome yesterday, and I'm going to butcher it. But he was talking about how God isn't hiding from you, and when you seek him, you'll find him. I want to add to that. God's desire to meet with you is greater than your desire to be found by him. It's not like, it's not like you want to meet with God more than he wants to meet with you. You don't. I would say this. Him already being there before you get there shows you that he wants to meet with you more than you want to meet with him. So know this. When you, when you set up a tent at home, it's not a matter of if. It's when you meet with God, he's going to meet with you. The second thing we need to do once we set up a tent, I'm going to go through these quickly, is ask. Look at Exodus 13. After Moses set up a tent and got into the presence of God, he asked the Lord to show him his ways. He said, if it's true that you look favorably on me, Let me know your ways so I understand you more fully. You want to understand God? You want to know where to go and know where he's taking you? You want to know him deeper? Ask him. Ask him. Verse 14 tells us that God answers that prayer that Moses says. And he says, I'll go with you and the people of Israel. Look at this verse. The Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses. I will give you rest. Everything will be fine with you. Some of, some of you have questions. Some of you have things you need answers on. It's in the tent. And if you go to the tent and just ask him, God, show me your ways. Where are you leading me? What do, what's your plan for me? What do you want me to do as I go to school today? Who do you want me to reach? Who do you want me to talk to? Who do you want me to buy lunch for? He's going to answer you. 
Most importantly, the number one thing you could ask for in your time with God is for God to go before you and be with you throughout the day. That's what the Bible says is prayer without ceasing or prayer without stopping. Some of you are like, how do I pray every day all the time? That's not what he's saying. It's this idea that no matter where I go, who I'm with, I have an awareness that God's presence is with me. I'm going to allow myself to be interrupted by him. Okay? And anytime we ask him to do that, his answer is an overwhelming yes. Here's the last thing. Listen. Get into your time with God. Talk to him because that's what relationships are. You talk to the person you have a relationship with. But then don't overwhelm the conversation. Listen. I'd say for some in the room, maybe you have a place you meet with God regularly. I'm talking to leaders too. But all you do is ask. And all you do is talk and you dominate the conversation. If we would just be quiet for a second after we talk to him, he could say one word that could solve multiple issues and problems. When we go to God, it's not with a grocery list. It's with open hands. And you can present him with needs that you have. But you have to be ready to listen and run with his plan, his solution, what he wants to do. It may not be your preference, but there's purpose behind it. Listen. Sometimes God is going to ask us to do stuff that doesn't make sense. But that's what the, that's what the life of faith looks like. A life of faith is one that says, I care more about what God says to do than what the world thinks about me. Look at Exodus 33, 15, and 16. It says, Then Moses said, If you personally don't go, if you if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me and on your people if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all the other people on the earth. That needs to be our heart. Oh God. I don't want to go to school if you're not going with me. I don't want to go to practice if you're not going with me. I don't want to go to church if you're not going with me. I don't want to go. Because if I go without you and try to do what you've called me to do without you, how will they ever know that you look favorably on me? How will they ever know your power? How will they ever know your love? How will they ever know your grace if you're not going with me? Did you know just praying that prayer, saying, God, go before me and come with me. There are moments where you don't even have to say a word, but just the presence of God on your life in that place begins to change the atmosphere. I can't tell you how many times I've been led into conversations where I haven't had to say a word and all of a sudden, students or leaders or people just start pouring out what's happening in their life and just asking for prayer. It's the presence of, of God. It's because I said, God, I don't want to go there without you. Listen, Lakeview's not going to change if you're going there without him. Your high school's not going to change. Your junior high is not going to change. Your LM, whatever, whatever it is, it won't change. Things won't change if he's not going with you. You don't just need his help. You need him every day. Look at how this verse ends. Verse 19, the Lord replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you and I will call out my name, Yahweh, before you. For I will show you mercy. I will show mercy to anyone I choose. I will show compassion to 
anyone I choose. That's what happens when we set up a tent, when we ask and we listen. It, here's what happens. We prioritize practicing his presence privately, personally, passionately. When we spend time dialoguing with God, talking to him, listening to him, the result is his glory goes before us and he reveals himself to us. And then we go back different. This is a monumental word and a monumental moment. Usually I would save a message like this for the end of a camp or a retreat. But you need to know this. If you will take it serious, if you will prioritize the presence of God, you can have an encounter with God's glory that when people see you when you get back home, you're different. In this instance, God puts Moses in a cleft of a rock, a little spot like this, where he could barely see out of it. And he says, I'm going to pass before you. Because if I showed you my whole, my whole glory, you'd die. The Bible says that God passes in front of it and just shows him like the coattails behind him. The Bible says that Moses descended from that moment and his face shined like the sun. And when people saw his face, they, they bowed low in fear and in awe of the God of Israel. They remembered real quick, oh, that's God. My prayer for you is this. Do you take this practical word into your Devo times tomorrow, into your free time today, back home when you're doing the daily grind? You'll prioritize the presence of God. You'll learn to ask him for understanding. Ask him for knowledge. Ask him for direction. You'll listen to him, what he says, and you'll obey and listen what he says. My prayer is that you would experience a glory that opens up doors you couldn't open up on your own. And I'm going to speak this prophetically in the room. I need everybody paying attention for this moment. If you'll prioritize the presence of God, he's going to show his glory and it's going to cause you to reap a harvest from seeds you didn't plant. Write that down. <laughs> I'm telling you, there are going to be people that have been unreachable that all of a sudden soften their heart before you and melt, and you're going to wonder why. There are going to be, there's going to be moments that you can't explain. You will reap a harvest from seeds you did not plant. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for these students. And God, I'm asking as we just spend a little bit more time in your presence that you would move in power, that you would show us your glory, that we'd be forever changed. In Jesus' name. Here's what we're going to do. Would you stand up on your feet? We're going to practice the presence of God right now. And here's the deal. Let's just start baseline. We don't need to ask him for anything. Let's just set up a tent right now, and let's listen. How about that? You guys with me? You can come down to the front.